Our speaker for this hour is Dustin Campbell. Dustin is a 2011 graduate of the Bear Valley Bible Institute. It's hard to believe that it's been 10 years ago since he graduated, but he and his wife, Amanda, have worked in California. They've worked in Wyoming. They now work, uh, he, he works as the pulpit preacher uh, for the Broadway Church of Christ in Paducah, Kentucky. They have three kids who are much larger than they were than when I last saw them. Uh, Dustin and I are parking lot buddies. Uh, while Dustin was in school, we played racquetball together and it seemed like after we'd play racquetball, we'd sit in the parking lot at the gym and spend hours talking about scripture, talking about the world's issues, how we can serve the Lord, how we can do better, how we can grow. And I've always appreciated my relationship with, with Dustin so much because he's such a learner. He's a man who, who's constantly challenging himself to grow. And if we all do that, we'll all be better preachers, won't we? If we all do that, we'll all be more effective workers in the kingdom if we'll just take the time to want God to lead us. And Dustin is a man who wants to be led by the Lord and wants to lead others in God's word. I appreciate that about Dustin so much. And I know you're going to be blessed by his lesson this morning. Dustin, come preach the word, brother. I am excited to be here. Um, as it's been said before, coming back to Bear Valley is part home. Um, I'm not a big traveler. I don't really like to travel. Uh, I think it's a burden sometimes, especially nowadays when you're traveling with all the extra requirements that this pandemic has placed upon us. But I'm excited because my travels here begin well. I get to Denver, my flights were good. I go to Hertz rental car. And those of you who know me know my passion about cars. Uh, I am a car guy through and through. I was raised that way. I like to work on old cars. I like to restore old cars. And one of my best therapeutic sessions is keeping my cars clean. So I get to Hertz. And I'm always fearful of the rental car they give me when I go travel. So I walk up to the stand and the guy says, well, Mr. Campbell, we have a Ford Focus for you. And I'm not putting down the Ford Focus, that's just not me. And I kind of said underneath my breath, ugh. And he goes, well, we have something else, would you like this Hyundai? And that time I did make a ugh. Because you see, on the desk in front of me is a list of the cars they have. And there's trucks. And I'm a truck guy. And there's this little section that says V8 Muscle. And he just offered me a Ford Focus. <laughs> so as I begin grunting louder and louder as he's pointing through the cards on this placard in front of me, he finally gets to this and he says, well, we have a special deal today. And my ears perk up. And he says, we have one more challenger left. And I said, I'll take it. He goes, well, don't you want to know the price? I said, I'll take it. Until he told me the price. And I grunted one more time. And I said, do you offer any discount? I I'm a member of AAA. Oh, he goes, oh, you are. So he took a little more money off. And before long, I'm driving out of the Hertz rental car place with a Hemi Challenger. My travels have been going good today, this, this weekend. 
I am passionate about a lot of things in my life. I'm passionate about my family. Nobody comes between me and my family. Nobody comes between me and my God. And unfortunately, because of my passion, sometimes I become hot when those items are talked poorly about. I have a problem sometimes controlling my words and my anger when those hot buttons are pushed. I am a Mopar guy, a Dodge guy through and through. You will never see me driving something other than those things. Not that those other things are, well, I can't lie, they are inferior, but not that they're bad. But I am passionate about those things. But one thing I am passionate about is God's Word. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we see passion come out from Paul. Starting in verse 18... We see this section really develop where Paul is looking at this idea of where am I, who am I, and what am I passionate about? And he makes this statement in verse 19 and also in verse 22, and he says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, listen to this, underline it, that I might win more of them. And he makes a similar statement at the end of this section where he says in verse 22, To the weak I become weak that I might win the weak. That I have become all things to all people, listen, that by all means I might save some. That's Paul's passion. Paul's passion is the gospel. Because Paul grasped the power of God. It was never about Paul. Paul said, I'm going to do whatever I can to save souls. And preachers, if you're here, if you're preparing to become a preacher, or you're a preacher, that's our main goal. That's our responsibility. That should be our passion. And I'm going to tell you right now, students, if that's not your passion, go find something else to do. Because we have to be passionate about it. Our preaching does not stop when we offer the invitation. Our preaching does not start when we say, open your Bibles. Our preaching is taught all the time. When we're out in the world with our congregations, we're preaching. When we're at the grocery store around our communities, we're preaching. People are constantly watching who we are because that's our passion, at least it should be. And Paul's passion was to save souls. So what is the extent that Paul went through to save those souls. Well, before we get to that idea, I want us to truly understand a problem. Because I don't believe we ever will have a passion to solve the problem unless we understand the problem. Okay? If your car's check engine light does not come on, you're not going to take it to a mechanic to get fixed. If you don't understand your car has a problem, there's no reason to fix it. And maybe we've been ignorant to the point that there is a problem. There's a problem in our churches of divisions. Therefore, we study books like 1 Corinthians. And as much as I begin reading and studying the book of 1 Corinthians, it's so similar to what they're dealing with to what we're dealing with in our churches today. You know, it's interesting. These topics were, giving, were given to us pre-pandemic. 
When we got these topics for last year's lectureship, the pandemic really hadn't ramped up yet. And as I, the beginning of this year, after it was canceled and postponed to this year, the beginning of this year, as I began preparing for these lessons, I went back and read what I wrote before the pandemic began. And wow, talk about a perspective change. Over the past year and a half, our congregations have been divided. They've been divided over masks or not masks. Now they're divided over vaccines or not vaccines. Our congregations are divided right now. There is a problem. Let's go outside the congregations. Maybe even within our congregations, but there is a big problem of sin. And it's these sins that maybe aren't huge sins. You know, we always want to categorize sins and, and give them hierarchy of, uh, of worse sins or, or, or lesser sins. And, and we want to look at those people who fornicate and go, oh. We want to look at the young woman who is pregnant out of wedlock and go, oh. But I'm going to tell you what, it's just as much of a sin as the divisions we have in our congregations when we're looking at a brother across the room wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. And putting them down based on their decision or their political preference or who they voted for. We have a problem. There is a problem in the church today. So we have to recognize that problem. We have to recognize the problem of sin in the church, outside the church. And until we can recognize the problem of sin in the church and outside the church, we won't be passionate about the solution, which is Christ. See, when we've developed this idea that there is a problem, there is a problem that the Bible, through God's word, through his power, gives, them us, gives us a solution to fix it, we will not be passionate about the things we need to be passionate about, like Paul is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, when he makes a statement, I will do anything in order to save souls. I'm always at an impasse in my mind when I preach at a different place. Should I wear a tie or not? Do you realize there are people in the brotherhood that will look down upon a preacher who's not wearing a tie? You know what my biggest fear as a preacher is? To have a lesson that I prepared from God's word and somebody not listen to me because I'm not wearing a tie. I put on a tie and took it off three times this morning. <laughs> You're laughing. It's not funny. It gave me anxiety. Should I wear a coat? Should I have dress shoes on or put my boots on? Should I wear a mask or should I not? It's becoming real. And if we cannot look at examples like what we have in 1 Corinthians and understand that there is a problem and our main goal in our life is to save souls, listen to me, whether you're a preacher, your main objective is to save souls. Whether you're a teacher, your main objective is to save souls. Whether you are a member of the Lord's body, your main objective is to save souls. Therefore, when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it is universally applicable. That I have to do what I have to do in order that I am most successful at saving souls. So what does that mean? If I understand there's a problem and I understand there's a, there's a solution, I have to get out of God's way and subject myself to God's agenda. What is his agenda? To save souls. 
In 1 Peter chapter 9 and verse, or 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul says this. He says, I desire all to come to repentance. God, that's his main objective. That's his agenda. God wants souls saved. You don't know why? That's why he sent his son. God sent his son because his agenda is to save souls, period. But what do we do as preachers? Preachers, teachers, members of the church, we become too full of self and we do not subject ourselves to God's agenda. We say to ourselves like, well, I have rights too. We just talked about how God or Paul surrendered all of his rights. Why? For the sake of the gospel. For God's agenda. So we understand there's a problem. We understand there's a solution. So let's work through 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 19 together. First, we must understand the one who subjects self to God's agenda has the attitude of service. One who objects himself to God's agenda has the attitude of service. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. You see, Paul's attitude was being in service of men. And didn't we see that with Christ? Isn't that his attitude when he washed his disciples' feet? Isn't that his attitude when he sat with that woman at the well in John chapter 4 was service? Isn't that Paul's attitude as he goes from church to church, subjecting himself to God's agenda, serving people? Why? So that he might save some. We have to have this attitude of service. We have to have the attitude that I must do whatever I can to save souls. I must do whatever I can to be a tool in God's toolbox. I have a toolbox. And it's never been a problem keeping my tools organized until about a year ago and my son turned 10. And it's a real fight in my mind. I want him to use these tools. And I don't want him to use these tools. Because they come back dirty. The other day I ran over with a mower, one of my pair of pliers. Not only did it ruin my pliers, but it ruined the mower blade. I pick them up and I walk in the house. Wyatt! Sorry. We need to look at ourselves as tools for God's work. That's how Paul saw himself. Paul was never too big for the work. And my encouragement to all of us today is to never get too big for the work. Always be in submission to God. Always realize, I love what Wayne said the other night. If I'm gone, guess what? Preaching's still going to happen in Paducah, Kentucky. If I'm gone, if all of us in this room are gone, God's power is so great that his word is still going to be spread. Therefore, I need to be in subjection to his agenda. So, I grew up in Southern California. And then I went from Southern California to Denver, Colorado. 
back to Southern California, then to Wyoming, and now I'm in Paducah, Kentucky. You want to talk about trying to become all things to all men? I'm pretty sure I've covered just about every culturally extreme there is in the United States. The only place I haven't touched is the East Coast. And watching the news, I really don't want to. But imagine what it was like going from Southern California to Wyoming as a minister. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. How was I going to be effective there? I remember the first time I saw the ad in Christian Chronicle that this little church in Wyoming was looking for a minister. And I called up there, and the guy answered the phone. Literally, the conversation went something like this. Hi, I'm Dustin Campbell. I'm a preacher down in Southern California, and he hung up on me. He did. He hung up on me. I called back. He didn't answer. A couple days later, I called back and finally got to talk to him. They didn't want some California kid up in Wyoming. This kid doesn't know what boots are. He'd never seen a cow before. Little did they know, I didn't, wasn't raised typical Californian. So I go to Wyoming. I go to Wyoming from Southern California as a big USC fan. Go Trojans. I go to Wyoming and I have my USC hat on. And about two weeks into it, I come into my office and there is a Wyoming cowboy hat sitting on my, <laughs> my desk. I wore that Wyoming cowboy hat from that day forward. And then I moved to Kentucky. <laughs> One of my first lessons in Kentucky. I'm using the example of balls, sports balls. <laughs> they still tease me about this. So I have a football up on the stage, and I have a basketball, and I have a baseball. Unbeknownst to me, because poor audience analysis on my behalf, I didn't realize Kentucky was huge basketball people. I don't like basketball. In my realm, in my world, there's only one ball that counts, and it's a football. So I go to Kentucky, and I'm talking about what these balls are. And I grabbed the baseball, and I explained what the baseball is, and I set it down, and I grabbed the basketball, and you could hear a pin drop. It's like the sacred shrine of Kentucky. <laughs> and I said, but this ball really doesn't matter. And I tossed it off the stage. Half the congregation left. No, they really didn't, but they wanted to. And then I pick up the football, and I say, this is the ball. You see... When Paul talks about becoming all things to all men, he's talking about becoming culture. He talks about becoming somebody that people can relate to. Set yourself up for success so when you preach the gospel, listen, people want to listen because it's important. Why? Because we have the solution to the problem. So I've become a UK fan. I still like football, and I still like the Trojans. And I still like the Wyoming Cowboys. And depending on who I'm talking to, whether it's talking to an old elder in California, I'll ask them, how is USC doing? And if I'm talking to somebody up in Wyoming, I'll say, how are those Wyoming Cowboys doing? And when I'm talking to a brother or sister in Kentucky, guess what I'm asking them? How's UK doing? Or I watched the game last night. You see, and as Paul works down through this text, that's what he does. Look at what he says in verse 20. 
To the Jew, I became as a Jew. Why? In order to win the Jews. Now, he's not saying fit in wherever you're at. He's saying do what you can to win souls. So when you're with the Jews, be like a Jew. How many times do we see in the book of Acts on Paul's missionary journeys that he goes to where? The synagogue. You know why? Because that's where they were. He didn't believe in the old law. He didn't follow their old law. He didn't take sacrifices, but he also met them where they were. He says to the Jew, I became a Jew. To those under the law, I became under the law. Now I look at those ideas and I go, man, I think we can apply those today. What good is a sermon without application, right? It's a waste of our time. I think we can apply those principles today. When I look at my life, when I look at our life, how can I be effective with who I'm with? Maybe in your congregations, you have a group of people that you know are scared to death of COVID. My suggestion is this. I don't care how you feel about masks or not masks. When you go meet with them, wear your mask. That's becoming all things to all people. Is it going to hurt you to wear it in order that you may save some? Yeah, yeah, you're sitting there. Some of you, I know it. You're sitting there going, no way. I'm not conforming. If that's our attitude, we have some serious soul searching to do. Because my objective is not political. My objective is not whether I wear a mask or not wear a mask or get vaccinated or not get vaccinated. My objective is to save souls that I might win some. Are we too big for it? Can we not get out of our own way? Can we not be the tool in the master's hand to use? He continues on. Not only to the Jew by nationality, not only to the Jew by religious preferences, but he continues and says, to those outside the law, it became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Paul never went too far. You see, if I'm going to subject myself to God's agenda, not only do I have to have the heart of a servant, but I got to meet people where they are. I have to be a people person. Dan and I were talking about this the other day, and it's going to come up in my lesson on Saturday. We all have different gifts. My gift is not teaching. I'm much rather listen to Dan teach than me. The man has an amazing gift. I'm blessed to work with him. I'm blessed to be mentored by him. My gift is people. I love people. I love uh, meeting people where they are. I love learning people. I love hanging out with people. I want friends, and I want to take them all to heaven with me. I love people. And I know Paul understood the power of God. He understood the salvation through Christ, and he understood people. And we see that come out in 1 Corinthians. But he never went too far. 
He never said, well, I have a drunkard in the building, and I'm going to go get drunk with him. You see, talk about one extreme to the other. Now, he may have gone into his home and, and seen his alcohol collection, and he didn't walk in and start busting bottles. <laughs> Maybe it's the fact that you're a patriot. I respect that. I would like to say I am, too. Man, I'm pro-Constitution. Like it or not, I'm pro-Second Amendment. I'm pro-everything you could think of when you go back to what the Constitution stands for. But I know there are some people who struggle with it. There are some people who don't like the way I voted. So maybe I don't wear that political shirt when I go visit them at their house. Maybe I don't bring that up with that person. Are we willing to do that? Maybe I don't post that post on social media. Can you imagine? I just, I know it could be used for good. I don't know how many times Michael taught me that in ministry tech. This could be used for good. I hate it. You know why I hate it? Because devil's, the devil's using it in the church. And the devil is using it in members in what they post. Political rants, things that they're opinionated about. Paul says, I become all things to all men, but I still maintain my servitude under the law of Christ. Meaning, I am a Christian first and foremost. And you know what? I can be a Christian and like UK and the Wyoming Cowboys. I can be a Christian and still not like basketball. But I have to be wise and use the wisdom that God has given me to say, this is not going to allow me to be effective in seeking and saving the lost. He continues and he says, well, not only am I going to be to those under the law and to those outside the law, but to the weak, I'm going to be made weak. And in the context... Of 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 9, 10. The weak are those struggling, eating meat offered to idols. I don't know how many times over the past year and a half I've looked at this section of scripture. Paul explains to them not that there is idols, but listen. That's against their conscience. They can't do it. And shame on you if you invite them into your house and serve them meat. Shame on us if we can't be who we are in our cultures where we're preaching the gospel. Shame on us if we can't do our audience analysis and figure out how we can be most effective at saving souls. To the weak, I became weak. We see the same concept develop in Romans chapter 14. The same idea. It wasn't just something that was happening in Corinth. And we know now that it's not just something happening in Corinth or happening in Rome. It's happening in Denver. It's happening in Paducah. It's happening in California and Maine and Washington and Florida. This is not a new problem. Now, it may not be meat anymore, but maybe it's homeschooling. 
I know, I may be stepping on toes. Do you know it's okay to send your kids to public school? And it's okay to homeschool your kids. I hear an amen, but some of you are going, Dustin, you're treading on thin ice. No, I'm treading on Bible. And we have to understand that, listen, there's no condemnation there. I have to be a parent and decide for my child. I've known successful people both ways. Do you know that if I can look at this in reality and maybe bring it even more recent, I know a lot of people who would die on the hill of vaccination. Do you know you don't know everybody's story? (laughs) You don't know maybe the person in their life that they're taking care of at home that if they get it, they'll die. And who are we to make that judgment? You know the quickest way to lose a seeker is to make a judgment like that. How many times do you pray, God put seekers in your life? I would encourage you to pray that prayer. And in my life, I question myself and I say, how many times have I prayed that prayer for God to put seekers in my life? And my mouth turns that seeker right away. Because my opinions come out. Because I'm abrasive in my words. If I want to look at this idea, I need to understand that one who subjects himself to God's agenda meets people where they are. Not only are we service-oriented. Not only are we meeting people where they are. But we have to maintain proper balance in how we do it. Now, what do, you, what, do, what do I mean by that? Well, look at this statement Paul makes, and, and I want to go there real briefly as we wind down. Paul makes these statements, and if you look in your Bibles, it may be in parentheses. It says in verse 20, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law. Listen, though not being myself under the law. And then if you go down to verse 21, he's considering those who are outside the law. But he says what? But not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. I think sometimes we go to one extreme or the other. We want to become all things to all men, so we go get drunk. And I'm I'm just using that example. I hope none of us do that. But maybe we're going too far the other way. Maybe we're so much all things to all men that when we're in this group, we're slandering that group. And when we're in that group, we're slandering that group. How many times have you heard that happen in the church? Well, I'm just trying to become all things to all men. That's not what he's saying. One who subjects himself to God's agenda has to maintain proper balance. Paul always has the focus. You can see this in all of his writings, especially in Corinthians. From 1 Corinthians all the way through the end of the book, Paul's main objective always is to save souls. He understands the power of God, and he always puts Christ first. We just had the reference in chapter 9 and verse 16 that I'm not going to boast. Look at what he says. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no grounds for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. We know Paul's attitude. But wouldn't you say there are two groups in this category? 
we have the full exclusion group. Nobody's right except me. We're fully excluding everybody. We're, sec- we're, we're separating ourselves from everybody. Think of communities, the Amish-type community, who've completely removed themselves. I'm going to ask a question. How can we go back to God's agenda of saving souls if we completely seclude ourselves from everybody? We have to be in the world, church. That's why we have the whole armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. we got to be in the world. And I'm not going to ride uh, my soapbox when it gets to this about homeschooling and not homeschooling. I want to be in the world because I want my kids to save souls too. But we also have the full inclusion group. There was a group, and I couldn't believe this as I was reading about it. In the late 60s, there was a man by the name of David Berg. And David Berg had this cult called Children of God. And David Berg's main objective was to be all things to all men. That's what he said. So he created this idea of flirty fish. Some of you older men or women may be thinking about this. Go look it up. It's bizarre. But this is a quote taken from David Berg. It says, Sometimes we use sex as a tool or a proof that we love them. This man created this cult that basically was full inclusive, meaning everybody was included. And we're going to go beyond the law of God to promote things just to show them we love them. We can't be full excluded and we can't be full included. We have to walk down the word of God. We can't allow the pendulum to swing so far forward that we are allowing everything in the church. Well, you know, we would fill the pews more if we had a guitar and a piano. You know, if, if, if maybe we talked more about opinion and less about Bible, people wouldn't have their toes stepped on and we'd fill the pews more. You know, maybe, just maybe, let's be more hip. I know, I know the Bible says don't do this, but, but, but that's old. That's ancient. That's old school. Let's do it this way. Let's be more inclusive in who we are. You know, do not preach against homosexuality because that's going to exclude somebody. Do not preach about this or about that. And it's okay if you have five wives or five husbands. And I don't care how many times you've been unscripturally divorced. You see how the pendulum is swung? And it is swung in our churches today. It swings because we've tried to be all-inclusive. If we are going to be subject to God's agenda, we must have proper balance. And finally, one who subjects himself to God's agenda, maintains God's agenda as the main focus. Look how Paul ends this chapter or ends this section. He says, do you not know, verse 24, that in a race all runners run, run, but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Doesn't that sound a lot like exercising self-control and becoming all things to all men? Is this okay for me to do? Is it okay for me to like this baseball team or this basketball team? Am I exercising self-control in that idea? 
And Paul uses the athletic terminology based on the area in which he's at. In this phrase, he's becoming all things to all men. They had Olympic-type games here in Corinth. They were athletically understanding. He knew who they were. Becoming all things to all men once again. In these statements, he says they do not receive a perishable wreath, but we, or they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But look at verse 27. But I discipline my body. And the ESV says, keep it under control. Literally, that's put it in subjection to. Am I keeping myself in subjection to God's agenda? Listen, guys, I hope you are passionate about God's word. I can't imagine trying to be a preacher and preaching my own ideas. I'm not smart enough for that. I have to preach this because that's all I know. That's all I want to know. Sounds pretty similar to what Paul says. that He says, I didn't want to know anything among you except what? About Christ and him crucified. About the power of God. I want to be passionate about saving souls. And that may even mean I change my sports team. That may mean I drive a Ford. You know how hard that is? <laughs> there are going to be people who watch this are going to be going, what did he just say? That may mean I wear a tie or shave my face. That may mean I wear a coat or not. I have to become all things to all men in order that I might save some. Because it's not about me. It's about him. Because it's God's agenda and not ours. And brothers, sisters, if we cannot change our ideas and stop serving our own agenda, the church will not grow. God's work will not be done in those bodies. We must get out of our way, his way, put the tool in his hand, and subject oneself to God's addendum. Thanks, Tustin. I want to express my concern. The one statement that he made that was an underestimate, an underestimate was, he said, I want to be passionate. Isn't he? <laughs> and shouldn't we all? We've been asked to do the most important work on the planet. If we can't be passionate about it, we shouldn't be doing it. And I've, I've always appreciated Dustin's passion to do that. Let's close with a prayer, and then we'll have a little break before the next session. I do believe that in the next session, we uh, have ladies' sessions beginning. Is that? I, don't, I didn't bring my schedule. I should have brought them up. But I do believe we have ladies' sessions in the chapel as well as a session in the, uh, the fellowship hall and the library, uh, just the fellowship hall, the chapel, and here. So uh, if you need to know how to navigate the catacombs of this building, 
uh, find one of us that you know work here. Also, our students in the green shirts can help you. Uh, the library is a little bit of a challenge. You kind of got to go through caves and, you know, but, but we can get you there. Uh, and uh, there will be babysitting downstairs for the ladies session as well. So uh, avail yourself of that if you need that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for being reminded that our goal is to save souls, that our actions impact the people around us and that we need to meet them where they are. Father, we need to be adaptable to them, not force them just to adapt to us. And Father, we, we know that uh, there are limits to that. We understand that your word guides us and that sets those limits. But Father, help us be flexible where we can be flexible. Help us to, to reach out to people and relate to them in their lives and where they are. Help us not be so aloof that uh, those that are seen as, as on the other side of the fence are not reachable. Father, we do pray that you open doors for us in evangelism. We pray that you would open doors in people's lives so that we can teach them the gospel. And Father, we pray that we don't slam the doors that you open because of our actions. Help us to step through those doors boldly, armed with your word, that we might reach the lost and help them come into a saving relationship with you. Father, you did that for us. We pray that we would help do that for others. Father, we thank you for everyone that's represented here. We pray that you watch over us as we continue to learn throughout this day. It's through your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.